All right. So I wanted to talk to you today because first of all, you're a female in directing. I feel like that's a very male dominated industry. And I kind of wanted to get your take on that. But yeah, before we jump in, I um in preparation for this, I rewatched The Gazer. Literally. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, literally, I don't know, maybe less than 30 minutes ago. And uh I forgot how much I enjoyed it. It was so good. Like literally from a, a both like I think I think I read it was Haley that was doing the cinematography. Yeah. That turned out really well. I think the writing wise was incredible. From the writing perspective, like Okay, so for everybody just listening, because I'm, you know, obviously stoked to be talking to Eleni here. Um, she and Spencer, um, her significant other, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They co-directed this project called The Gazer, which is a fantastic short film. Shameless plug. You need to check it out. It's free on dust. Did I do that yes. right? <laughs> yep, you sure did. <laughs> so, um, but obviously she she had a hand in directing it she she wrote it obviously worked with an incredible team on it and it really it really came out well and uh like i said just watched it again um as far as the writing goes i love how you use all these elements to really tell the story not just dialogue i think so many especially young filmmakers i know they get kind of trapped in not necessarily overriding the dialogue but they just hesitate to use all the other elements to really yeah. really you know bring the story along so i love that i just I had Thank so much you. fun Thank watching you it again. So much. Yeah, it was so kick-ass. I wanted to, I know you're working on something else. And so I'll pick your brain about that in a little bit. But um, getting back to kind of who you are, Eleni, um, I I met you kind of working on Dirty John when I was mm-hmm. on uh, Universal's lot. Um, and we kind of worked on that project together. And um, so I'm kind of happy to kind of dive into how you got started in this whole crazy industry. First of all, you know, I, I don't know. Remind me again. How did you end up in LA? Are you from LA? No, I'm actually from Atlanta, Atlanta, gotcha. Georgia. Yeah. 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 And, um, the story is, I feel like, uh, I feel like it's half luck, half just really forcing my way into the industry. Yeah. Um, when I was little, I really wanted to be an actress, which is hilarious because that's not what I ended up doing. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, you just see what's on TV and you're like, I want to be a part of that. And I think that the first thing you think is acting because that's the first thing you see as a viewer. You're like, acting is the main focus that you notice. And then um, I kind of like took a stab at acting. I was in a background artist artist um <laughs> I was a, Come on. yeah I was I was background on this feature called prisoners it was with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal oh yeah it's uh and, Denny Villeneuve that yeah that, right yeah yeah he did fantastic movie if you guys yeah it really was yeah <laughs> and I and I uh I was a background uh on it and I was so excited to be a part of the set and I feel like for the first time ever everything felt so real Mm. um I had done like little commercials and I had done a bunch of you know short films things like that that I had worked on as a student in college which I studied film um but this was my first time that I was like wow this is this is so huge and I want to be a part of something like this so I at first I was an English major and then I switched my major to film once I was on set and I realized that there was a possibility of of working in the industry and then I started 
sending my very very horrible resume to like every production that was in Atlanta I was it was not a good resume it was like a game associate at GameStop Bath and Body Works clerk like I'm in college like those are like the three things that were on my resume and nobody responded except for one PA and he was like hey your resume is not good what are you what are you doing what what do you want to be doing out here and I was like well I just want to be a PA because I just want to be a part of everything Mm. and he was like okay well how much do you want to be a PA and I was like I want to be it I want to be in this world so badly we'll do anything that is respectable um and he was like okay well he's like you seem like you're really determined and uh at this point I was I think I was like a sophomore in college or yeah like a sophomore college I was 20 or 19 um and he was like well I'm working in the office I'm an office PA and I have three days and I'm moving and I really need somebody to cover me he was like I'll show you everything you need to know and you can cover take my place for those three days and if they like you then they like you you can make an impression and you have something on your resume and I was like amazing yeah so this was for the feature goosebumps it was that jack black yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i remember it um yeah and so i i pa'd for three days and i stocked the crap out of that fridge and cleaned oh yeah cleaned that kitchen so well i made those copies the best i could and they hired me back and they hired me back to be a costumes pa so i was in wardrobe and i was in wardrobe for the rest of the show and i was in school and working wardrobe and then summer happened so then I was able to do it all through summer so that was like my first job into the industry that was like a real job Mm -hmm. and then I started I was just working so hard and connecting with everybody that I met and I was like I want to be a PA I want to work here Um, and they kept hiring me and so I you know by my senior year of college I had already worked on like four large studio movies and my senior year, I was an office PA on Black Panther. So I was going to school and working in the office for this multi-million dollar Marvel wow, feature. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't do both at the same time without kind of sacrificing one or the other. Hmm. But they were really great and they were able to have me work Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then I had class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I did their B unit on Saturdays and Sundays. So I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I went yeah. to school Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, so, and and then after that, when I graduated, I immediately started assisting because I told everybody I wanted to be an assistant. Um, I assisted some actors, actresses, and then I started assisting producers. And then finally, this feels like a very long story, uh, I, I worked for this director, his name is Michael Douse, for this feature, this 20th century feature called Stuber. And uh, I think I when remember that the, actually. Yeah, it came yeah. out like 2019, I think, or okay. yeah. And uh, it was released, and, and I went with him to post production. He invited me, and then I stayed in LA. So that was about four and a half years ago now. Wow. Um, yeah. But it was just a really long process of really putting myself out there, asking people, like the moment that I was finished with a job, like updating my resume really fast and then telling them, here's the next step. Here's where I want to be. And 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 
people actually listened. They were like, okay, if you want to be a producer's assistant, I know a producer who's hiring. Here's, you know, I'll send along your resume. And I think it was my resume and working with people and being a good person in general and like all the the culmination of everything that really brought me to coming out to LA finally. Yeah. I think you hit on something that um, probably most people when they, you know, watch movies as a young person and they, you know, identify and they're saying, Hey, I want to get into entertainment. They don't realize the difficulty of it. And it really is like a, a combination of what you went through as far as your work ethic goes, showing people that you really want, are going to show up and be there. That really forces yeah. them to get in the industry because otherwise it is a crapshoot whether to get in there or not. I mean, it's, yeah. as you know, it's next to impossible unless you know somebody or you, you know, you've somehow gotten in and then not only that, but you've, you've showed up, you've done the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's showing up and doing the work. And that's something that I knew at least I could do. Like that was the one tangible thing in Mm -hmm. my opinion that I could do. I didn't have anybody in the industry. My parents were like, what are you doing? Oh, like wanting to be in this career. They're like, you're like, what you want to be in the film industry? You're like that failed as an actor. Like you can't like Eleni, this is scary. You shouldn't be doing it. Um, And I was like, no, I think I, I can do it. Um, but it wasn't knowing people until later. Like me knowing people now is mostly through a built network from the beginning of when I started to now. It it, it wasn't anything that would just like happened. It was yeah. a long continuation of building the world that I wanted to be in. Of course. I think there's that age old adage about LA where you have to be in the industry something like 10 years before you kind of develop all those relationships. Yeah, you're smiling, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the relationships that you've built up over a long time frame. Very few people, um, if you're thinking about getting in the industry, you know, can just all of a sudden snap of a finger, someone reaches out and gives you an opportunity. It's really that 10 year gap or more where you finally get somewhere. And then yeah. uh, then you then you make it, right? Then you, then you lucky yeah. strike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, um, yeah, so did you... So I knew you You kind of came from from the acting standpoint, you said, and I thought it was really interesting. You said you studied English because like Christopher Nolan is a guy that's famous. He, he said like, you know, I didn't go to film school instead I was studying English and that really informed my writing and my films. Yeah. Uh, I think it shows, especially now after just watching The Gazer. You know, <laughs> um, it's, that's really cool. Do you find that that helped you a lot as far as just coming in with that background? Yeah, I originally have always wanted to be a writer. Mm. Like, I think it was between acting and writing or being in film and and writing. And then at some point I was like, wait, it was like light bulb. I was like, I can just write for for the screen. What am I doing? I can literally do both. I don't have to, I can be in both worlds. So for me, I've always wanted to be a storyteller first. Mm. Um, And I think that that's really what like pushed everything. And when I realized that being a storyteller in film was a possibility, then it just really helped because I had already, I already had the like natural ability of storytelling. I think sometimes people go in and they've never thought twice about actually telling stories. They're like, I just want to, you know, work a camera and that's great, but that's totally different. I went into it knowing right away that I, I had already studied like, act structures through writing novels because I wanted to be an author before I wanted to be a screenwriter Mm -hmm. so I think going into it definitely helped just as a writer and storyteller Mm. yeah I can 
That's fascinating. I, uh, I kind of found, so I also um, started writing like short stories and things like that all throughout, still do. But I found when I first was introduced to kind of the structure of screenwriting, it because I was not, you know, I had no formal training or anything uh, resembling that. I was so, I felt so confined at first because yeah. you organically kind of create a story, let it happen, let the kind of the garden grow as you're kind of letting your imagination run wild. When you have the freedom to, uh, at least how I worked when I was writing, you know, stories and I kind of didn't know how it was going to end up necessarily. You might know how it ends, but you don't know how you're going to get there. Right. Yeah. And so in screenwriting, um, especially at first, I felt so confined by that three act structure and like all the things that kind of, you you know, people can get really specific. What, yeah. what happens with totally and the page numbers and stuff like that. You know, some people are super, super technical about that, um, which is wild to me. But did you ever feel at all confined? I know you said you kind of came from that. Yeah, I felt I, I felt the same way. I, I felt like I was like, how am I supposed to get all this, these like really fun words into the script when they're telling me that I just needs to be you know, my action line needs to be really clean and everything I wrote was overwriting. That was exactly how I started. I overwrote everything. I like, my dialogue was so expositional. I I did a lot of dialogue heavy work. Um, so it's funny because the gazer is like minimal dialogue, which Very is minimal, not yeah. how I started out. Um, I started writing just the way that I felt like I needed to write was telling the story in the way that I, that I knew it. But weirdly enough, when I when I just like thought about act structure, I was like, how I, I just thought of everything in subtext. I was like, okay, this is exactly what I want, but I'm just going to condense it. And it still feels like I'm saying exactly when I want to, it's just a lot more condensed. Hmm. And I was able to, and I'm able to write like that because it, the act structure falls naturally. If I just condense everything and it fits and flows if that makes sense mm. so for me it was really hard at first and the moment that I was able to just like openly think of an act structure as like a guide versus a def like a definite kind of structure that formula that you need to fit everything started feeling better it was like oh okay so it just needs to you know naturally hit these marks and if they hit them, then it's in a good space versus like, oh, if my act one ends all the way on page 40, I feel like I definitely have, there's some, some yeah. things I need to figure out more, here. Yeah. yeah. It's more of a guide. And when I look at it more as a guide versus this definite formula that I have to fit, everything started to be like, feel clearer for me. Yeah. How many, um, I guess, how long did that take you to, before you I mean, obviously, as a writer, you're probably always growing, right? But yeah. how did it take you before you were you were like, okay, I kind of, I kind of have this down. I kind of honestly like like last year, like really? like two, like maybe two years ago. Um, I Is mean, I I felt like I I got it, but like you said, we're always growing. Like I still feel like there's times where I'm like, am I hitting the marks I should be hitting? Am I like getting it, or or am I just totally full of myself? And I think I'm just like doing a great job just because I'm just because I'm doing it um but I don't know I feel like I feel like there's always a little bit of doubt so I don't know if I've if I'll ever confidently say that I that I've got it every time right. that I'm writing I feel like my 
my beginning drafts are always a huge mess. And then that's when I can go in and really like Frankenstein it and put it together and make it make more sense. But sure. probably my first draft doesn't hit all the marks and isn't fully there. But I know that the bones are kind of there. I know that like, because I outline, I think it, it's a lot easier for me because I outline and I write every beat. Mm. So for me, hitting those marks is a lot easier when I'm just free writing because I've built a very structured outline to go off of. So I think that's why I'm able to hit it more now than I was before because I never wrote with an outline. I just wrote. Right. And so for people just listening, what she means by outline is, you know, she she writes all the basic ideas down to, I guess, the sequences of the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout. And yeah. divided into, a, it's usually a screenplay is written in a three-act structure. That's just a way to kind of very broadly kind of define or outline what you're, you're the story you're telling. And so within that, then she goes in and kind of cuts it up and obviously does it um, what makes sense to her. Yeah. Like, yeah. Would yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Building an outline was, I, I took the Sundance collab course with this great showrunner. Her name is April. She, yeah. and she really made us realize it, it was specifically for TV, but you can use it for features, but like, <laughs> outlining is just mapping exactly what it is that you're looking to create Mm -hmm. and as much as people are like I just want to write and sit and write that's totally fine you can sit and write but knowing that you know where you want to go it helps you it helps you fill it in so if you know right now I'm writing something and I kind of had like a little bit of a like a writer's block and I went back to my outline and I was like right I want to get here So all I have to do, it was like a map. It was like, all I have to do is like fill in this part, at least add like, there will be dialogue here at some point Hmm. that explains this. Then I can get there and and move on and I can finish the script. Because I think the hardest part is finishing because sometimes you hit these these blocks and you're like, how am I supposed to get from A to C when when B is still a little fuzzy? At least you know that you have a C. If you don't even know you're gonna have that C, it's hard to like anchor yourself and get yourself there. So I find it like a like another guide. I feel like everything's just like a guide to survival to survival in writing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I um I had a thought and now I I just lost it. Um, but but yeah. So you've you've been in this industry you know, a, a while and you've kind of seen the inner workings and everything like that. It has changed so much in the past, probably like five, six years, you know, since I was, I left LA in March, 2020, but, you know, since then it's been, you know, crazy. And you've seen kind of this evolution of the streaming platforms and kind of, you've been in that kind of the inner workings of the studio space. Yeah. How do you feel like you've kind of seen the inner workings of the beast. How, how, how do you feel like that's changed or morphed in that time? Do you feel like the studios still have as much power as they did, or you feel like that's going down and, you know, now there's all these new platforms coming out. Yeah. I think that the studios still have a lot of power, mostly because they're old Hollywood and mm-hmm. they have a lot of the money still in influence. I think the smaller platforms are starting to really gain interest and I think that we're in the beginning of another change I think that with a platform like dust where Mm -hmm. gazer is on it's a full sci-fi platform right it's just a full sci-fi streaming um streaming app 
which means there you can't find horror, you can't find comedy, or maybe like a, a little bit of combination of both, but it's right. strictly sci-fi. And Shudder does the same thing. And I think it's ta- like it's the tailoring to people. It's hopping on Shudder and knowing you're going to get horror versus hopping onto Discovery, which I know is very controversial right now, but right. hopping onto Discovery and being like, okay, I'm going to get maybe Shark Week or I'm going to get this this you know, lifetime, whatever. I don't even know if they're together, but you know, I'm going to get this um, unscripted show that I might not like. And instead you're getting these like tailored places where you know what kind of project you're, you're going to be watching, or you know what kind of film or TV you're going to be getting. I feel like Netflix, you get a very broad commercial studio, pretty type of project. And then you watch something that's HBO Max, A24, combination you're getting this like you know more like high concept or this like art house type of filmmaking right so so it's interesting because they feel like a lot of places are just like okay we're just gonna do this disney's only gonna do uh you know stuff with adult viewing and child viewing they want to have things that are yeah, they want the kids and the adults to watch together. They want the Mandalorian where both of them are interested, engaged, but it's still family friendly. They they want that and they're tailoring themselves to that. But Hulu is an extension now of Disney and Disney is allowing Hulu to take their own reign and do more of their like maybe darker adult viewing. So that's kind of what Hulu is now for, for Disney. So yeah. Disney now has that, right? They have their child adult viewing and they have like more of an adult catered viewership for their other streaming platform i think that's what is is trying to happen is like how do we cater these people we know our demographic we know our audience whereas netflix for a long time was just like here's everything we have kids adults teens you know we have ya we have everything up and down and i feel like sometimes it hurts them because people are like there's too much right i'm like I'm overindulged in all of the things that I'm that I'm that's here in this catalog. Whereas somewhere else like Disney, I'm like, I'm going here because I know I'm going to watch a Disney movie or I know I'm going to watch something that's lighthearted. Um, So I feel I feel like that's kind of what's happening. That's just my observation of everything. No, I think it's so valid. You said something just now, like decision fatigue is a real, real thing. And I think yeah, it completely, there's so many times where I'm on Netflix or surfing through something and there's just so much and you get overwhelmed with, ah, I don't know what I'm in the mood for. I don't know what this is. And so it just kind of turns you off from watching instead of kind of diving straight in. Yeah. It's a super valid point. It's weird yeah. that at this time and age <laughs> when we have that problem, that's like such a first world problem. Yeah, it's such a futuristic problem, right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, we yeah. are literally living so much in the future in terms of like, the development of tv and everything that we get to decide the content that we want rather than being just given the content on a little screen and being like here are your 30 channels and you have to watch what's on now and you have to like base your life off of the times that we're giving you for this premiere and now we're like I'll just watch it later or, oh, I don't have time for it or, oh, I get to watch it. You know, I get to binge the whole thing. I feel like now we're so, we're such divas when it comes to our content because we get it instantly. We get it now. But how does it, how does that upset you as a filmmaker? Because for me, like as someone involved in the industry and the acting side of things and, and, you know, having such massive respect for filmmakers like yourself, like, um, 
and even dabbling a little bit in filmmaking, but I wouldn't call myself a filmmaker. But um, <laughs> as far as, you know, the ability now where you can just stop something and get up and go somewhere and takes you completely out of the world. I mean, that's super frustrating to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, somewhere? yeah, I ha- I actually went back home um, pretty recently to visit my family and my friends in Atlanta. And one of them, I hadn't seen him since like, college and um and then my other my friend invited him because she was like oh he knows that you're in town you know we should all catch up we should all hang out and I was like okay cool um and then she was like oh you should watch Eleni's short it's right here and she pulls it up on her phone and she was like here here like you should watch it and I was like oh you can grab my laptop at least yeah you can watch it on my laptop because it's a bigger screen she's like no it's already pulled up on my phone and I was like but watch it on the laptop because it's a bigger screen and the audio is better at least and she was like it's okay and he's like no I'll watch it on the laptop it was like this whole it literally was like a 10 minute like jostling around trying to figure out where to watch it but I was I was trying to fight for the larger screen something that gave you more of like a cinematic feel because we shot on an Arri Alexa mini for a reason right like we shot anamorphic for a reason we shot it so it can feel vast and large and we can you can be immersed into that small world that slice of life that we gave you so it is a little difficult you know, I think that a lot of people with COVID, they were really happy watching things at home. Mm. Um, but I, I still feel like there is a need as a community to watch things like in the cinema, large, feeling fully immersed. Because I think that's what a filmmaker wants, at least for me. I want people to just join the ride and not be distracted by everything else that happens, which happens, which even I'm guilty of when I'm watching something and yeah. I... I pull my phone up, I check an email, then I put it away. When I'm in the theater, I have I don't have that distraction. I put everything on silent and then I watch fully. So it is a little, it is a little frustrating sometimes. And I and I feel like that's what filmmakers are fighting for, but the general audience and viewer just doesn't care. They don't, they don't, yeah, they don't necessarily they're like, it's more convenient for me. And we we're talking about convenience mm. just now. We are so accustomed now to everything being convenient for us rather than having to wait for something to premiere at a certain time. And that's the only time we can watch it. Now we can watch things whenever we want to. And we want that liberty the same way as we want Amazon to be delivered to us in two days. We want our films to be on our phone or whatever. We want it to be available to us when we want to watch it on our own terms, which is great. And then also there's like the downside for artists and people who are fighting for things like going to the cinema right right it's it goes back to that immersion feel you were talking about and it's so i think it's i think there's a through line through any anybody that's creating something creating art whether even you're you're writing a story you're writing a novel or something like that i mean i guess the thing with a novel is sometimes you know you have chapters so you can digest something in one chunk which is what the author is kind of like letting you have which is yeah like okay i want your all your attention right here finish this out and then you get a break yeah Um, yeah and so but it's this this fight for every single artist to want to when you're experiencing their work you know it's it's the thing of that it's the desire for the the audience to maintain presence to yeah be present in that world to be immersed immersed in that thing and it's it goes back to that um like you know i went to the theater not too long ago and um 
can't remember what movie I was watching, but while I was watching there, you know, now you're fighting with, because we have so many distractions, the person that's on their phone and the light is messing with you yeah. and ruining your immersive experience because all of a sudden you're brought out of that presence of the world and you're realizing, oh, I'm in this theater. There's maybe you know, 30, 40 other people in here. This guy's checking a phone. Now I'm thinking about, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? Like, yeah. <laughs> what to pee? like what all this crap, you know, right? And so it's, that's frustrating because you, you work so hard to create this experience, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about it because you're right. On the one hand, the convenience, it's, it's the best time to be alive, right? You've got right. all this crap, <laughs> right? You can do and amazing stuff. But I think, I think the art in the form, and maybe it's a selfish thing for every artist to want to desire, but I think the art in the form of uh, just maintain, maintaining presence throughout that time yeah it's kind of starting to wane i mean if you think about um if you think about going to a museum right yeah, yeah. and you go to an art museum or just any museum and you know everyone's quiet and they're all really taking it in and when you go to a museum you know or especially an art museum you're like okay i'm gonna put my devices away i'm gonna give the art you know a chance to tell its story or whatever it is and at first, when I when I first started going to like art museums, I was like, wow, this is so highbrow. This is just like, right. look That's at these people. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm yeah. not yeah. used to this. <laughs> I'm used to going to like the science museum in Chicago where I'm just like playing with like yeah. finding fossils in the sand. <laughs> now yeah, I have exactly. to like quietly stand here and like take in this art. But that's exactly what filmmakers want, right? Mm -hmm. We want you to stand there and take it in and put everything away and just watch what we've created. Ours is just long form versus a painting that's there and, and standing right in front of you. I think they're very similar in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, the hope is I think with what filmmakers do is that you lose yourself so much that you don't realize the time has gone by because that story is so encompassing to you. Yeah. And you're able to, because it's so encompassing, because it's the thing of the, the desire to maintain presence is that when you're present with something, it's a gateway to the the empathy and the feeling of those characters in that story. So you, yeah, you get to identify with that. Um, yeah, really cool. Okay, so as long as I've known you, you have been head over heels into sci-fi. How did yes. that start? You're like. <laughs> How did that start? What gravitated you to sci-fi? By the way, I was just listening to a podcast earlier while I was, you know, I, I drove to put up my dogs and like they were talking about UFOs and I thought this was so fitting. That I, was <laughs> I love that. The gazer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I've always been a fan of things that were like out of this world, even, even horror. Mm. I have this, I have this old project that I did in fifth grade where it was like a newspaper and you drew like, you drew little, little things. It was like, what's your favorite like TV show and who's your hero? And I like put a photo of my brother who was, who was in Iraq at the time. I like put a little photo of him. It's like, what's your favorite TV show? And it's SpongeBob. I like draw SpongeBob. And it's like, what's your favorite movie? And I put the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with like a little chainsaw and some blood dripping off of it. And I feel like, first off, that was very concerning. Um, Someone should have brought this up to my parents. Nobody bad an eye. That's Georgia schooling for you. Um, But I feel like, I'm the youngest and I'm also the only girl in my family or at least with my brothers mm-hmm. out of four. 
so for me it was always me having to play with play with myself or finally when I made friends play with my friends and it was just wanting to escape and go into different worlds I love reading I loved being taken out of reality and being put in these crazy places um I've just always loved sci-fi and and anything even fantasy or horror anything that just didn't feel like our boring my boring life in the suburbs of Georgia something that took me out of there was Mm -hmm. exciting for me and the further that I got taken the like I felt like the more was possible like more was possible right so if I'm taken to the world of sci-fi of if if I'm taken to the world of of Star Wars or Star Trek I feel like the rules are different and I can be someone completely different and that was really exciting for me um so ever since I was little I've always loved sci-fi and horror and genre and I play video games I play so many video games um so I just I really love it I just I find it really exciting and way cooler than like our every everyday world no I I on the in the same token I completely agree I've always been fascinated with fantasy that's like almost all I read as far as fiction goes and um I, you know, in the same token, I loved how it would just escape from the, not necessarily boring, but like the regular life of our reality, right? And yeah. so something where, like you said, almost anything is possible relative to where we are. Yeah, um, yeah. So- I even, I love grounded work now because now that I'm an adult and things are a lot more realistic for me, right? Yeah. I'm not as, I'm imaginative, but it's not the same way that I was when I was 10, um, I love combining those two things. Like the gazer f- was mm. a combination of curiosity and being an adult and having to be, you know, take care of the things that you need to take care of your bills, your life being, you know, eating, um, but also keeping that curiosity alive, which is something that sometimes we lose track of when we're so busy with our everyday repetitive things. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's really fun about sci-fi is like, for a, a moment it, it takes you out it makes you think it makes you imagine and that's really cool to me yeah and I, I love that you brought back up the gazer too because I just remember when you feeling for that character Jack on how everybody's doubting him and he's already he's almost at the point where he's starting to doubt himself and then the the payoff happens I don't want to ruin it for anybody so <laughs> to watch it yeah but, uh, <laughs> but it's it that was really compelling as far as just somebody empathizing an audience member empathizing with that character um it was it was great i just really enjoyed i was, oh, I was like it was such a pleasant, <laughs> like i'm gonna watch this because you know i'm gonna talk to Eleni today and then I, I just got wrapped up in it again it was it was just a really well done story so i'm glad i, I i'm glad i got to see it again thanks it was yeah. it was something that was really small and you know at first we were like, we're just going to shoot this on the side of the road. We're going to get like some plywood and build a little shack. We're not going to have a crew. And then at some point when I started getting recognition for the script, I was like, whoa, this is actually a lot better than I thought it was than than it was. And I was like, maybe we should actually put some, some thought into it and we should produce it and, and, get some funding and then the funding that we got we were like so surprised at how much we were able to put into it because I feel like it just really helped and gave so much to the story that what we thought it was going to be versus what it ended up being 
is so drastic and exciting for us because we had such low expectations and then for it to be what it was <laughs> yeah. we were like holy like holy crap it ended up being amazing and you know we were just expecting minimal at least like something decent um yeah so it was really nice to to have people respond to it and and like it exactly i'm sure that after it started getting recognition just as a screenplay it was so much easier to find great people not that you guys probably already knew a lot of maybe the the crew um that you worked with but i'm sure everybody was just way more invigorated to be part of it you know what i mean that's there's yeah. nothing worse than being on a film set and you're you feel like you're the most passionate about the project you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, come on don't you see what i see and everybody's like yeah everyone's like yeah i'm just here for the <laughs> i'm getting paid yeah so. exactly oh it's such a bummer uh, but yeah uh really cool well um okay so like i said you were a, a female in a kind of a male dominated industry do you yes do you feel that at times do you feel um i hesitate to use the word struggle but do you, do you feel kind of like a, the difference being a female in that kind of authoritative role especially on set ever definitely yeah? definitely they're working with spencer we obviously directed the gazer together but now we're doing our own things he's directing a feature and i've got a few projects that i'm working on <clears throat> and for me when we are working together immediately people ask him all the questions and they'll they'll ask they'll talk to him they'll look at him they'll like look to him for guidance and i'm like this is great that you guys trust him because i trust him too he's my he's my partner and he's my producer for a lot of the things i do but i'm the one who's going to give you all the answers because i'm the one who's spearheading this creative process so i find that i have to be a little more like not necessarily harsh but just more dominant mm. on set and I, I don't necessarily want to, but I, I feel like I have to. I feel like I have to assert my dominance and make sure that people know that I'm the person that you should be going to and there should you shouldn't be going to someone else because they're the man. <laughs> they're like a man in, in, a, in another powerful role. They, sh they should be talking to me. So I find that that is something I struggle with because I don't feel like my personality is that but I feel like I have to be that. Um, and I do think sometimes when I'm present, at least when I was looking for management, when I was presenting myself, I really had to give a list of all the things that I've been working on. And, and I felt like when I talked to my guy friends who were looking for management they're like oh yeah I got repped and I was like what did you send in and they're like oh we just talked and it just worked out really well and I'm like what am I missing I here yeah. what <laughs> so it just felt like there was some disconnect in some way and I wasn't sure exactly how to get there but I feel like now I have a great team my rep she's a woman and she's you know a person of color so it just makes me feel like I have a great circle that mm. you know supports me um but I do I do feel a large difference sometimes when I'm working in a in a role where I'm the boss and maybe there's like a guy who is also similarly boss like you know producer right um, and people go to, yeah and and people go 
to the male versus like female um for things which yeah is always just like come on right it's like an uphill battle against that kind of like innate whether you know that innate I, i guess that i don't know indoctrinated kind of um behavior of 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 doing that Uh, yeah yeah i think it's a natural thing right like it's it's for the our our society is built on like a patriarchal society right Mm -hmm. so we look to men for answers at least that's like how things have been for so long that now it's it's almost like engraved in our brains it's like okay wait i no you're the boss and i i'm gonna be talking to you and and that's how it should be but sometimes it's just a natural instinct yeah i think there is something to that where i think we just naturally evolutionarily or or what have you we we look to what is what we perceive as the strongest among us you know um and so whether that be physicality wise which i guess was you know the dominant thing and then now obviously um you know we it's not only that it's it's your mental um aspect of yourself the way you carry yourself and, and things of that nature so it's definitely you're fighting against that um and which is it's it's crazy too because that is also something i was thinking about that the other day on how you know this is a relatively new thing where both sexes are kind of like working together mm-hmm. basically all sexes are working together and so you have um for the first time where kind of all these issues are coming up all of a sudden at the same time. And so it's gotta be, there's growing pains and we're yeah. kind of working <laughs> things out. You know what I mean? It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, you know, at the end of the day, although it sometimes is a little frustrating, you know, in that moment when I was directing my last short, hmm. I honestly didn't think much about it. I was like, Oh, I'll, answer that for you don't worry about it Spencer doesn't know and I it it was just like such a natural response I just quickly jumped into it I there's obviously no hard feelings for my producer who's so wonderful and I love him but you know I just quickly was like oh I'll just answer that for you no big deal and I moved on and I I think it's understanding where it comes from and then just making sure that they know and then moving on I don't think there's anything there were there were no hard feelings it's not like it was purposely done or anything like that right no I don't feel a certain type of way it's more just I'm ready for it to not be like that that's all right exactly I I totally get that I get that um well cool awesome okay so as a director as a person as a creative is there anybody that inspires you like who do you look for like when you were that little kid in Atlanta and you were thinking, oh man, I want to get into this. Of course, at first it was probably like you were looking at actors because you were inspired by the actors. But I mean, now as you've kind of come into it and you've you've grown, who are the people that you kind of want to emulate or are inspired by? You know, I, I feel like that's such a tough question because I, uh, I absorb so much and I love so much of film and TV that for me, when people are like, this is my favorite director, these are my favorite directors, I'm like, well, they all they all have such unique aspects. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. They're all different artists, but also they take from the classic directors from way back when. So I find that it's difficult for me to answer this because I'm, it's the same way with music. It's like, well, this week I watched this and I right. loved it. And I thought they were great. Like the Davids uh, from, that's their name, right? Yeah. The, from uh, the everything, the Daniels. Oh my God. I hope 
Let's <laughs> no, reset. No Let's redo I that. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No worries. The Daniels from <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm -hmm. I felt like their work was incredible. They also did Swiss Army Man, which I thought was really fun. Yeah. Um, but when I saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, it really I I felt like I kind of oversaw that. And then when I when I saw this film, I was I went back to Swiss Army Man and I was like, it was there, right? Like their talent, their work was mm -hmm. there. It was just growing. Um Obviously, Bong Joon Ho. I hope I said his name right. From I, Parasite, yeah. and he did Snowpiercer. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Dennis Villeneuve. Obviously, oh, yeah. I, I I'm pretty sure I'm butchering all these names. Um, <laughs> You're doing better than me, so no worries. Um, I love Dune and Blade Runner and. I f and you know prisoners no big deal but I feel like for me the, yeah. the the directors that make these large projects but also they feel so close to themselves mm. like Guillermo del Toro I feel like a lot of that is what I aspire to create things that are so so big but at the same time don't feel that big right like parasite is so large but at the same time it's so small and, and and put together and like grounded and same thing with with dune i mean you know a lot of people didn't i think dune is like you loved it or you hated it or blade runner but i just i i loved it love that i, was like, oh, I ate it up <laughs> me too i did too i loved it um i do wish that i i could say that there were like more female directors that i aspire to be like i think that it's tough because the big ones were put into these small boxes like Catherine bigelow and i feel like i don't necessarily connect with her work mm. despite her being a woman i want to support her and all female directors but i feel like the genre female directors aren't there yet right we don't have genre female directors except for patty jenkins who's creating these large stories yeah. um so for me to say these are my heroes it's like up-and-coming directors mostly because there really aren't that many huge female directors that are creating these large sci-fi pieces right i think and i think you touched on it but i think that's relative right over over the scope of time as the population of female directors grows i think you know those will grow into those roles yeah um but yeah, that that's crazy about Dune. You threw me for a loop. I was like, "What? How does not everybody?" Like, no, I love Dune. I love no. Dune. Oh yeah, but I'm I'm just saying that like some people just didn't. It blows my mind the scope of that film. Like you said, I really identify in the same way to people that are doing such large scopes and sequences, doing massive things. One of my favorite directors is Ridley Scott. Time and time again, some some of his films are kind of, you know, par relative to other other big films he does. Uh, yeah, but. I just love how the same way um, Villeneuve does, you know, the huge scope of like Dune, he does these massive scopes like he did with Kingdom of Heaven or Gladiator, these sword and sandal almost epics that are just so large in scope. But then at the end of the day, they have such a human grounded story to them. And yes. So it's very character driven. I, I think that's why I love also in the same token, Christopher Nolan's work where the scope is so large but it's so grounded. I love the fact that he loves practical effects. Yeah. But like 
the story is just even though it can be really heady at times usually it's very it's very human and very character driven and um i also like as a you know coming from from an actor background i'm obsessed with like the character stuff right and the mental yeah. so like i um maybe that's a bias i have and selfishness in the sense of like what i'm i'm choosing here but yeah i'm fascinated by that totally i mean i I feel like I one of the biggest directors actually that I feel like is having a large influence on cinema, especially sci-fi and horror, is Jordan Peele. And I feel like oh, yeah. he's just an absolute genius when it comes to storytelling, character, everything, right? Mm-hmm. He is like the full package. He's like his own version of Spielberg. I don't want to say he he's like, you know, a second Spielberg because I feel like he is his own genius person, right? Yeah. Uh, Spielberg is going to be Spielberg and Jordan Peele is Jordan Peele um, but he I feel like has changed so much of what we realize audiences want to digest the same way as Bong Joon-ho with uh, Parasite I feel mm-hmm. like these larger stories that are you know there's people of color there's bigger things that they're tackling everything everywhere all at once where it's like tackling that inner need of a of a child to have acceptance from their family for once these things that I feel like the millennial experience is now coming into play yeah. right like we've got so much that we've grown up on and we're now at an age where we get to be the ones telling the story so we're creating our own version of all the things that have come before and now this new fresh way of telling things i think even like matt reeves with batman does something very similar yeah exactly i think i think you hit it on the head they're kind of like um changing the connotation of what's expected and they have such clear voices that are defining them and i love that you brought up at least twice now uh everything everywhere all at once (laughs) i feel like that is you know it's definitely the best movie film i've seen probably in at least a couple of years but it, it is it's one of those i had such a I'm sure everybody, well, not everybody, I can't say that, but I had such a visceral reaction to it in the cinema when I was watching it. Such an emotional pull. I thought it was told so well. I thought it was written so well and so poignant. And just going back to what you're saying, it had such a large scope, like conquering all these different concepts, high concepts, like uh, crazy stuff. But then the meat of it was just this, you know, mother-daughter kind of relationship that was just so poignant and so well told and you ended up just <laughs> golly yeah so much it was like oh I'm so jealous it was just it was very inspiring watching that right so yeah you, you watch something that makes you feel things that is the point we mentioned earlier in the whole conversation about being present and I think that you you know, as a filmmaker, as an artist, you are seeking for the audience to be present enough to where they can feel and be impacted. And I felt that that story and that film specifically just probably impacted me the most out of so many films I've seen the past couple of years. It's just been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I feel like I I made my parents watch it. Ooh, and okay. um, <laughs> what was their reaction? Well, I I feel like... First oh, off, when you start off saying, well, <laughs> my, you have to remember yeah. that. Well, first off, my, my family, my parents are Puerto Rican and my dad is very much still in his, uh, he's still in his mindset of, of like very, 
conservative type of thinking he liked it at the end he goes oh this was very interesting in spanish of course um and he was like very interesting something to think about and my mom was like cute and i was like that's it yeah that's all you're gonna give me she laughed and she had a good time but for her i was like looking at her the whole time because i'm like i'm her daughter and we've obviously had huge fights and i don't think that she fully grasped the whole thing but i think that's because i'm the one who had the experience as the daughter Mm. versus her at like i don't know if she fully connected with the mother role because i feel like they the whole point of the film is that they don't recognize it they still feel like they're just wanting the best for their children yeah especially as you know she grew up in Chicago, but she definitely still has a lot of tendencies that root back to our Puerto Rican culture. And I feel like sometimes she just doesn't fully see that. So mm. I thought it was really interesting to to hear all of the responses from people my age and then hear responses from parents where they're like, this is great. And then like, yeah, totally goes over their head what the whole, totally. <laughs> what the whole meeting was. I, I'm, I'm, I, I told similarly my parents to watch it. They haven't yet. I'm, I'm waiting for them to, to see it and then get their reaction. But I am fearful that their reserves kind of nature from their upbringing is definitely similar to your parents. Like going to, I don't think my dad's going to allow himself to really like be with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I that's just yeah. the thing. It's just like that background that, you know, has. But uh, Well, I think they also like, you know, my parents love The Rock and like that oh. anything that's like a big yeah. you know big they live fast and furious yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly that's i it. think <laughs> i think <Sure>. that they're <laughs> just like whoa this doesn't have you know the rock johnson in it what the heck what are we watching what are we watching hot dog finger hands what is this? <laughs> yeah that was so funny in the movie by the way i love that my favorite part was the raccoon honestly like yeah i've never laughed so hard in my life with raccoon <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing it was amazing it, that movie was just great it, the fact that they can go from something that almost silly to the moments where it has such a big emotional payoff and it's so real was just uh that was what was inspiring it was like man that's really that's really something that's really cool yeah, so, yeah. i think that's what we all at, at least a lot of people hope to create i think that there are still filmmakers who want to make fun things that don't make you think and i think Hmm. that we need to allow that to also be within our like space of creativity i feel like sometimes everyone's like we want think pieces we want things that are going to make you feel we want things Mm -hmm. that are going to move you and i think that yes we want those things but also there should be room for wanting to watch something just to feel good or to feel to laugh and I feel like right now there's this movement especially with A24 being like we can do comedy and and think pieces like everything everywhere all at once and I feel like there is a pressure for young filmmakers that they have to go get out of film school making these 35 millimeter you know short films about the rawness of the world and I feel like you know, we strip away what's great about filmmaking and that creativity. And I think that there is place for both. And sometimes right now, I feel like there's a lot of judgment on people who do want to just create an ET or an ET has 
deeper meaning, but things that just feel good and are happy. Mm. And I feel like sometimes lately, at least for me, when we were doing Gazer, that has a lot of heart to it. There's a lot of deep emotion and I, and I feel like I built it so well, but it's still, some people were like, yeah, this was really fun and that's it. Right. And I feel like people were expecting a little more and I feel like we should allow the space to, to be whatever we want it to be versus expecting these art house films or, you know, studio films can be fun. A Marvel film can be cool. A Star Wars can be fun. Star Trek. Uh, and I feel like sometimes, or at least right now, we might be losing a little bit of that. So it's a balance between both of those things. Exactly. I think that's a great point. I think uh, we have a tendency to, because it's so important to us and we get wrapped up in our own kind of like selfishness and the vanity of being an artist, you get wrapped up in your own vision, right? But there is something to be said about being too precious with it and and understanding that like, you know, maybe it's just people go to the cinema like that family that goes to the cinema maybe once a year or maybe they're order a movie like one time every now and then you know and it's just a, yeah their life is hard and they're you know they they've got to work all the time and this is just they just need an escape something to entertain them to get out of their kind of way for just a couple hours just to you know escape and yeah. so and I think movies and art in general can really serve that and I think we do a detriment to ourselves when we don't recognize that as heavily yeah yeah totally I think that when we think about art and we think about cinema there's all of the greats right and Mm -hmm. and the things that are Oscar worthy and just as you know Shape of Water is is an Oscar worthy film I feel like Dune got recognition but I feel like you know with Get Out that was like one of the first horror films that got recognition for an Oscar and it's crazy that it took that long for recognition for something that is art in its own way. There's so many good horror films. There's so many good comedies and actions and sci-fi genre in general. Genre doesn't get love. Genre only gets love if it is a hereditary, right? Which is Mm. questionable within itself because that is just such a different way of storytelling that Ari Aster does that is very specific to him as an artist, but really breaks a lot of norms and I don't know if it's in a good way but it's very different and I feel like sometimes people look over genre as art and just see it as something that's just fun and cool but you don't take it serious right but those are the things that are you know changing the way that we tell stories I mean think about like terminator and how terminator changed to be effects in cgi yeah and same thing with like jurassic park and these are classics that we were like this is incredible right jurassic park was an incredible film and we all think of it as a classic and we think of it as like almost a masterpiece it, it is really storytelling visually spielberg is amazing but if jurassic park was created today would we still give it the same attention and would we still think of it as an art piece or is it just another genre fun film? Mm-hmm. So I, I think about that a lot in terms of Spielberg stuff, like the old, like the big Hollywood, I say big Hollywood, but just the Spielberg type film is not as readily done now. And I don't know if now tastes have changed or we're not as like, 
we don't suspend our disbelief in the same way that we used to. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think on some level it's bad because I think that those experiences, like you're talking about what he was doing, Jaws, Jurassic Park, all these other things, they were so pivotal and so, you know, jaw dropping at the time and so new and novel and amazing and changed cinema forever. Right. He's got such such a um, important voice. And now I, I just, it's so interesting, you know, um, like, and now we're getting into, I want to talk about this with you. Um, we're getting into this thing where it's a huge thing. There's a discrepancy in in the budgets of film and kind of what is being made now. Um, you know, this is kind of like a thing that's talked about a lot lately where, you know, you either have the $200 million and above Marvel movies, or you kind of have the really relatively low budget films and there's almost no middle ground anymore there's just very very little and films you know you hear filmmakers and producers and and people in the industry talk about such films that had great acclaim like for instance goodwill hunting and the like which people are questioning whether they would ever be made today because there's just not as there's not as much risk or desire for risk yeah used to be yeah, totally. And I so, agree. Yeah. So how, how do you feel like that? Does that come into question when you, I mean, you try, I'm, I assume as another artist, as an artist to an artist, you never want that to kind of skew or affect kind of what you're trying to create or do. Um, but in the end of the day, you've, you're trying to get funding to create the project, right? So does, how does that influence kind of what you're, you're creating? Does that affect it at all? I think so. I I know that when we were taking the gazer out to festivals, we already knew it wasn't going to get into certain festivals. Yeah. We were like, this is just not. And, and it's crazy because we put so much work into something like that. The production value is, is incredible, right? Oh we, we we filmed on such amazing, with such amazing equipment. And still, it just wasn't competing with stories that were very profound and and large or you know darker stories that tell more of a gruesome event in terms of like survival or civil rights things like that Hmm. and I feel like I I feel like for me I just have to create and if it respond if people respond to it then they respond to it I'm really happy but I don't really go into it thinking this is going to be super well received because I know that it is not necessarily what in in terms of like for producers and studios, right? Mm -hmm. Audience is different, but in terms of like funding and taking it out, uh, I know that it'll be a lot harder for me in terms of like a creator. I know that sci-fi is a risk. It's, it costs more and it's just something that I want to do. So I'm just going to do it full throttle. I feel like there are some things that I, I directed a drama recently and it's not necessarily my wheelhouse, but I got the funding for it. So I did it, but I wouldn't say it was like my passion project. It wasn't something that I was like, so, so excited for something that I'm really proud of and I'm happy about, but it wasn't like, you know, oh, it has all of the fun pieces that I've always wanted to make. It has a very grounded drama, emotional story that I'm happy to be telling. Hmm. That makes sense. I feel like I may have not answered what you asked. 
No, I think you did. I think you did in a way. I'm, that's it's, it's curious to me. Like um, you're, that that drama in the sense that you're you're kind of stretching yourself and and getting after something that might not have been what you what you say is your passion, but you're you're doing it. Do you feel like you? <laughs> you know, as you're waiting between gigs, you're always like, ah, I, I just want to work. Sometimes you just want to do that. And so obviously this, this script came about, you, you, you saw an opportunity and you went for it. And obviously yeah. you had a good time doing it and stuff like that. You're just saying that it, it, it's not necessarily something that like, um, from the ground up as a, as a creator, like fed your entire soul, like felt, totally. felt yeah. Fulfilled, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's, you know, when you ask about, does it affect the way when I create things and I want to sell it or I want to get financing? Yeah. There, there are things that I'm like, I know I can take this out for financing. And then there's other things where I'm like, I have to specifically do it myself or take it to a very specific person. Um, there's a horror feature that I'm producing Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at financing and there's a financier that I know. And I don't know if I can take it out to him because he does. I don't know if he would be interested in horror. I feel like it's a very interesting uh, genre and some people are scared of it and some people really embrace it. But lucky for us, horror is people love horror. I think that there is still a want for horror in general. And that's one genre that people understandably all enjoy for the most part. Uh, whether I don't know about slasher, but like in terms of like Get Out or uh, Halloween or like classics, you know, things that are scary, but not too scary, paranormal activity. I think people really absorb that because it's it's something exciting for them. Um, I think sci-fi is just too much of a risk right now. Still, yeah. it's too much. For, I think it, I think you hit it on the head earlier when I think um some genres are just because of the sheer expense, it is kind of a risk for funding. And so they just don't, they don't want to get behind it, which is sad sometimes because some projects I feel like are, you know, fascinating and need to be told and they're, they could be groundbreaking, but they're so uh, glanced over or, you know, you get this thing that happens all the time in the studio system, which, you know, where like you might have a finished project, but maybe funding gets cold feet about how, it might be received and so all of a sudden editing the project is completely kind of hollowed out or Mm -hmm. destroyed altogether because you know they think oh it's just it's too long or yeah it could be as simple as that or oh we you know this this scene right here it's not going to resonate we don't think with this demographic we need to change it up yeah and it can completely take the wind out of the sails of any project in any story which is ah it's so frustrating especially to a creator right yeah i think the I think a lot of the issue is that the studios are only thinking about money and how are they going to make a profit out of it, where we're thinking of it as like, how are we going to tell the best authentic story to what, you know, what we're thinking. And that's kind of where we clash sometimes with the studio or with our producers or financing, because they want to make sure it's viable for selling. And we want to create something that is just the art that we're looking to create. Uh, which is why pitching is so important, right? Like when you're pitching yourself, you're pitching your pitch deck, you're like, here's why you should hire me as a director. You should be as honest and authentic with what you want to do because if you're not and you're pitching and you get that job to direct and then you're directing and you're like, here's what I want to do, surprise. They're like, whoa, we 
thought you only, you know, we thought you were going to do this. And then you've got this huge uphill battle with the studio, which I feel like is already, you already have a, a battle with them regardless, because you're going to be fighting for things. Now you're fighting for way more than you thought you were going to be. It's going to make you, you know, it's going to make you pull your hair out. There's no way you're going to yeah. just be so frustrated all the time. And at the end of it, you're not going to be creating what you want to be creating. I don't know. I feel like there's sometimes you are like, do I just create it even though it's half of what I wanted to do, but I'm getting paid or do I wait for the project that I know I'm going to have that creative freedom. And I feel like sometimes we have to take the pay because we need to survive and then hopefully that can fund us for the next project that can be something that comes, you know, fully creatively from us. Yeah, I think, agreed. I think when you're kind of, we're beholden in a way to like the patronage of like the financing, right? So you have to take a project every now and then, you know, just to, for the pay, but also just to stay relevant. Like it's this town, the town is so, and the industry is so crazy in the sense, like if you don't maintain relevancy, <laughs> it's uh yeah it's tough you could be like you know you could be gone there's because there's always you know somebody else fighting for your slot or your the attention that you have so, yeah I was just talking yeah. to someone recently who came to visit us a family friend and she was like so what are you working on next and I was like well I mean I'm in post-production for this project I just took out my pilot and now I'm working on another pilot while the other pilot's getting taken out and I was like, and I have, you know, another project that I'm producing. And I was like, but all of it has to happen within the same time, right? Because mm -hmm. they're all for different things. One's for TV, one's for feature, one's for my directing. And and all of it has to stay, like, I have to do another thing. And then, and then another funny thing about all of this is that we are expected to continue to create. And when we do have something that doesn't necessarily do so overwhelm overwhelmingly well they're like it's a flop they're dead they're you know they're dud whatever and it's like man you're expecting us to write direct create perfect things every single time even with gazer there were a lot of people who watched it and they're like yeah it was really great except this and this and this and I'm like well, I mean, we had to do it all ourselves. We were in, we were fighting extreme heat and we had yeah. no power. We were working off of two generators. Like, I feel like there's this expectation. They don't care how you get there. They just want it to be good. Regardless of the struggle that you go through, regardless of, I just put out something incredible and they're like, great, do it again. Do the same thing, but probably better because you learned, right? From your previous faults but it doesn't always work like that we're human and the way that we create sometimes we create things and we think it's great and then it doesn't receive well but it doesn't mean that you can't love it and cherish it the same way um but I feel like there is this need for us to continuously put out content that is so great so perfect yeah. and I think that's kind of where we start to fall apart is that we have these expectations that everything has to be perfect and sometimes the best things come out of things that aren't perfect. So true. I think it's unfair in a way. Um, not that it needs to be fair, but it's it's unfair in a way that uh, that all that pressure is is put on you to basically perform at a hundred percent every single time, which is kind of feasibly Im impossible, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's that is 
That is a crazy thing about the industry. Um, so you mentioned you're working on all these these projects. Before yeah. before wow. we go, I'd love to kind of talk about kind of like what you've got your hands in right now. Uh, if you're if you're willing to discuss, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, so I'm in post production for the short film that I told you about the short film is called say something it's a drama and I know it wasn't necessarily the first pick of mine to create but I'm actually really proud of it I'm really happy uh how it ended up and I and I ended up loving it way more than I thought I would uh which is nice and well that's a oh, sorry. sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but no go was, ahead go ahead on that did every everyone like that was the team you're working with great were there any hiccups with the project that were unforeseen um no like my that? my actors were incredible uh my dp is the same dp from the gazer oh yeah um, yeah and she's amazing <laughs> and our my producers are the same from the Ga it was pretty much very similar gazer team um we like hiring the same people if they yeah. do a great job we like keeping them and then some people obviously weren't available so we hired other great great people to work with us um so that was a great experience it's now with color and uh score and sound design so mm -hmm. it'll be in festivals soon hopefully uh and then i wrote a pilot that was featured on the bloodless last year which i recommend everybody to apply and submit to the bloodless if you have a horror script yeah. um i think the deadline is like the 16th of august Ooh, uh guys in like five days from from <laughs> now not when this is published but five yeah days yeah five days from now um but it it got you know it was featured on the blood list and my manager and i did like i have to say like 12 rewrites we wow. really really shaped it up um i've been working on it for like a year basically uh probably like a little less than a year but i've been working on it for a long time and we finally took it out so it's now out with producers out to studios, out to hour, directors. Hour, it's an hour, hour. It's an hour, uh, like horror thriller drama, probably like horror drama, and okay, um, that's pretty cool. Is an yeah. anthology series, uh, based on cryptids, and the first cryptid is El Cuco, which is my childhood boogeyman. Uh, it's a Puerto Rican folklore, and each season focuses on a different cryptid from a different culture so it's really fun to explore and then the next pilot that i'm currently working on is a supernatural sci-fi noir about a detective and this young detective and this older detective and they have to kind of go back to his old case files to solve a current uh mystery and uh all of the creatures that he basically kills and investigates are all like supernatural creatures and monsters which is really fun very uh cool. very like old noir detective mixed with like men in black mixed with like supernatural so it's a really fun project way more fun than my last pilot my last pilot is so serious it's so <laughs> tough it's like it's definitely it's like one of those things that you digest and you're like wow this is like really intense yeah, yeah yeah and this one that i'm writing is so fun and i get to cuss in it and i get to like be crazy as a writer and i and there's a lot of like jumping back and forth and match cuts and i feel like it's really cool 
not that I don't love my other project, but this one is just more freeing versus yes. something that's so heavy. So yeah. Super cool. I, I've got a, I'll have to link you up. I've got a friend of mine, uh, Tom, and he's a director as well, but he kind of, he likes the same genre you do. I feel like you guys would jive. Would um, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. So, okay. So last question is, I can't believe I didn't ask this prior, but so what is going on with Fossil Record Films, right? Yeah. What's the next step for you guys' production company? So, And how did that come about? So Fossil Record Films came after Gazer. Okay. Um, me, Spencer, and my and our producing partner, Chelsea, we had such a good time with Gazer. And she's... Your, sorry, just to fill people in there just listening. This is Eleni's uh, production company. Yes, yes. Fossil Record Films is my production company that <laughs> I created with, <laughs> with, my, with my partner, Spencer Drace, and Chelsea Matthews. And it was after the Gazer did so well. And also just legally, we needed uh, t- right. to like have some things for distribution we needed like a company name um and it was it was a discussion of what we wanted the name to be and we all like dinosaurs so that's kind of how the fossil part came about and records sounded cool so we were like why not um but but what's next basically is we are looking to not just create our own things but also eventually work with other artists and you know help create their things we want to produce we want to you know be a production company an indie production company that can help people make their shorts i feel like there's so many people that focus so much on features in tv and shorts are a beast i feel like you know our last two shorts that we did back to back were about 25 to 30k budget each and we were able to secure financing we were able to get it done we did crowdfunding but then we had financiers after gazer who love gazer so much that they wanted to fund our next thing and it was building that network that people don't know how to do people don't necessarily know how to get their project from their short film stage to a fully financed you know, great production value project that's actually going to be able to go to festivals and have a successful run. And that's something that we wanted to focus on. So right now we're about to produce Spencer's feature, which is the horror, the mm-hmm. horror feature. And we're going to shoot that in Atlanta. We're um, set up to shoot in spring and we're able to, we're still like mm-hmm. working our financing, but we're like halfway through financing getting the rest of it um and then basically anything that I create with them we produce and anything that they make we produce so it's really just trying to find material and create things and make movie magic (laughs) you know like the cliche we want to we want to just make fun things and we're really interested in in horror and sci-fi and Chelsea's great because she's uh more of like historical drama so that's kind of her avenue that's her space so anything that's historical drama she's kind of taking over and and finding IP things like that um so we're just trying to things like that yeah so we're just trying to build it out and focus on you know having enough of our sample or financing financiers feel comfortable coming to us and, and investing in the projects that we, that we make and 
than supporting other artists, whether they're a writer who comes to us and wants us to direct or whether they're a director who wants us to write and collaborate or, you know, an actor who's looking to create something and wants to, you know, have a team that can help with the, with all of that. That's kind of where we're at um, because we know how to do it. We know how to talk to SAG. We know how to get all the production insurance. We do all of it. Um, and that's scary when you're first, especially in LA. Yeah, filming in LA is, is so different than filming anywhere else. Um, it's really tough. You have to pay a lot of permits and fees and right. people don't necessarily want to help you. Um, when you're shooting at home or like in your hometown, everyone's like, put me in the movie. I'll help whatever you want. You want me to make some food for everybody? I'll make you some food. You come here to LA and they're like, how much, how much are you going to pay me? And you're like, uh, I thought we were friends. <laughs> and it's it doesn't so matter right they're like yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. has to survive we all have to eat we all have to yeah we all have to make it so Why? that's hopefully what we what we can do with the production company yeah how difficult is it as a like you know you mentioned a big thing you guys do is like securing financing for all these short films how difficult is it when you you know you're you're pitching these kind of expensive kind of genres like sci-fi or period pieces. I mean, that's got to be intimidating as a risk factor to a financier. Yeah. I think the most important thing is everything, having everything that you need right there. If they have a question, you have that answer. You have the visuals, you have the cinematographer who can provide those visuals. Like you you can't necessarily go up to them and say, I've got a DP and they're like, great. And what does their work look like? They're like, it's a first time DP. Unfortunately, that is something that you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to do some smaller short films to mm -hmm. get yourself there. But when you're at the space where you're like, I've directed a few things, it looks good. I want a bigger budget. I don't want a 5k budget. I want the 30k. I want the 40k budget. It's having the lookbook. It's having your production designer already, you know, putting out illustrations. It's especially when it's sci-fi or something like that. They want to see what it'll look like. They want to know how you're going to do it. And knowing all of that beforehand is a lot easier for someone to feel comfortable investing versus saying, here's my idea. Can you help me do that? They're going to be like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I have the money, but how are you going to do it? So having all those answers having everything put together a whole google drive of everything that you're going to need a budget of a real budget mm -hmm. uh knowing who you're going to contact knowing where you're going to shoot those things are important to already have ahead of time and then later it'll be so much easier for you when you're writing directing producing because the studios will take care of it you're like Whoa, what a breeze i don't even have to do any of this <laughs> but <laughs> for now you know, having all of that prepared is very beneficial to finding financing. Killer. Killer. Well, that's great. Is there, before we go, is there anything you want to, you want to talk about and you say, or, I mean, we had such a great conversation. It's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, a takeaway for anybody who actually wants, you know, who wants to get into the industry or, you know, wants to write or direct I would say for writing, just write. There's so many people who are like, I want to be a writer. And I'm like, great, what are you writing? They're like, well, I have these ideas. I'm like, great, have you written these ideas? They're like, no, I'm just so busy and, and I got sick and I did this. And, you know, I think that 
there's so much that you can do, whether it's a 30 minute journaling, like literally right here after we get off our conversation, this is my notebook. I make a notebook for every single project that I work on and I print out photos, like everything that I want it to look like. And I write every detail, like I do a whole journaling on everything that I want to do for the story. And whenever I'm getting lost or confused and I feel like a block, I just go back to it. I'm like, okay, this is what I was thinking. Um, that even just like sitting and journaling is part of the process. If you can do that 30 minutes a day, you'll get way further than someone who does nothing a day, right? Yeah. Uh, and directing just as hard as it is, do those small short films and don't feel discouraged because I feel like my first short film was in my backyard with $300 and it wasn't the best, but also I learned so much. Right. Like I learned that my actors didn't need to walk in and walk out of scenes. And that is something that you yeah. just, you write it in and you think that you need it and then you realize you do not need it. So I feel like those, those are the things Great that are going to make you better. Yeah. yeah. So cool. And that's so valid. Well, Guys, it was amazing. Eleni, it was wonderful talking to you. I I'm so happy we got to catch exactly up. Exactly, catch up. It's been such a pleasure. I think people are going to get a lot out of this one. And uh, everybody take care and bye, guys. Bye.